Do you think that the courage that you had to ask that question might have saved his life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if he would have come out if I hadn't have asked. Yeah, I don't know either. And it just speaks to your what mother's intuition. You just you just have it. It's just there. And you just, when you want to fight for your kids, you're going to fight and ask and dig and poke and <laughs> do anything you can to make sure that they remain safe. As parents, we like to believe we know our child better than anyone, maybe even better than they know themselves. For some parents, that's one of the hardest things about making sense of a child coming out as transgender. They didn't see it coming, and how could they have missed something so huge? Yet most parents suspect something is going on. They just don't know what it is. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham. Sometimes when we recognize something is off with someone we love, we might ask questions like, are you okay? Or is there anything going on you want to talk about? And sometimes our loved one will tell us there is something. But most of the time, they probably just say, it's fine, I'm fine. And we go about our day worrying the way only parents and people with anxiety disorders can. Sometimes we miss it altogether. Sometimes we see it and we're too afraid to ask. How do we get our kids to tell us what's really going on? What if we're too afraid to ask the question at all? What could happen if we do? Is that really a can of worms we want to open? What happens if we don't? Today's Camp Wildheart guest is brave mom, Rachel. Rachel is the mother of Archie, who is 15 at the time of this recording. Rachel and Archie have been on this gender journey together now for a few years, and they've experienced both high moments and low moments along the way. There's no one way to parent any child. Rachel, though, kindly shares with us some of the ways that she and Archie have written the playbook for their family and some ways she's had to grow as a mom in the process. As a reminder, all stories shared by parents at Camp Wildheart are done so with full consent of their child and identifying details are altered to whatever point a family requests in order to feel safe sharing their story. So Rachel, why don't we just start with you telling me about the kind of kid Archie is. Just tell me about him. Archie's actually a lot like me. He's very stoic, (laughs) but he's very also artistic, which is what I truly love about him. He's very caring, but also at the same time can really get you with his wit in a way that you wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. And it kind of slaps you in the face a little bit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he's also very super caring and warm, um, just a very gentle soul. Yeah. He's so I know him, I can say, yeah, I know. He's so smart. He's so great. Uh, <laughs> at what point did you learn that Archie was Archie? So that was kind of a long process in some ways for him. Shorter for me. When I look back now, he started not wanting to wear the pink clothing that I would buy him about sixth, fifth, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Then we stopped wanting to be in Girl Scouts. Stopped really wanting to be social. And of course, we're in middle school and that's hard no matter what. So at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. Then we hit seventh grade and things got really hard for him. 
I had always thought he was gay. He just never seemed to show any romantic interest in either sex. So I kind of thought that that was gay because he wasn't showing interest. So he was trying to hide. Mm -hmm. But I had always been very open with him that if you're gay, it's fine. If you're bi, whatever, I'll, I'll love you. It doesn't matter. I want you to be happy. If that makes you happy, that's fine. I told him I, my grandfather was gay. You know, so I was like, I don't want you to ever hide yourself. That's not what I want for you. I think that's kind of always opened the door to having open discussions. And then at the same time, I started going through a divorce separation and um, his dad ended up moving to another town. So the whole family was kind of in an upheaval. But he did come out and say he was gay. And so I was like, okay, great. You know, not a big deal, but fantastic. I'm glad you're kind of beginning coming into your own, you know, knowing who you are. Then it was, I'm non-binary. I had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I said, what does that mean? Well, I don't really feel like I'm a boy or a girl. I was like, well, this is new. So I kind of had to start Googling, what does this mean? Um, And then he wanted to change clothing that was very neutral. And which again, not a big deal. I know that when you're in middle school, you try all kinds of things. It's kind of what my thought was. So, you know, do you. But his depression and his withdrawal continued to increase. Mm -hmm. And I had already had him in therapy, but it was not with you. (laughs) (laughs) And I had kind of just gotten hints just from him, just from saying things. Like even when he was non-binary, he's like, I think I want my name to be Archie. And I was like, hmm. So one night he uh, was heading up to bed and I finally just asked him straight out do you think you're a boy? I wasn't prepared for the answer, however. (laughs) (laughs) You ask the question, you never know, you you know? You never know. So he said, yes. And of course I started crying because you mixed, there's all kinds of mixed emotions. Number one, it's okay. I finally have an answer of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's what does this really truly mean for him, for me? all of those things. And so I had him come sit with me on the couch and I gave him a great big hug. And I said, I love you. You know, we'll figure this out. But I probably said some things I probably wish I wouldn't have to. Like, this is going to be hard on mom. (laughs) Um, Hmm. And at the time, I didn't know. I didn't understand the pieces for him in this. So we... But we were we were good. We, we were in a good in a good space. So he went off to bed, and I kind of was just paused, like, "What? What do I do now? What does What does this look like? Where do I go?" And then I had to like, "Who do I tell? <laughs> who, <laughs> who do I start with? Do I tell his dad? Do I call my best friend?" So I actually didn't initially tell his dad right away. The next day, I called my best friend and told her, and 
she was like, wow. (laughs) But we talked through it and eventually I was like, okay, we just, I just have to figure out what these next steps are. The biggest issue was the suicide ideation. And at that point it was increasing and increasing and increasing. And the therapist that I was going to, he was going to, was saying, well, I'm going to call you by your birth name. And so that wasn't affirming. And when I finally recognized that piece and I knew that the suicide ideation was not improving, I did also take him to his general GP and she was super awesome. And we got him on some um, anti-depression meds. So we had gotten that process started, but it was so overwhelming that time period because between husband leaving a marriage then my my child's coming out trans and then you have the suicide ideation you're just trying to tread water at that point and then trying to figure out how do I educate myself how do I navigate what the next steps need to be for him and for my the family and what does that all look like um then I just I start making phone calls and I start digging in and um, that's kind of, as you would say, what is that? The over, when you're have high, when you have anxiety and you- Oh, over, over-functioning? Over-functioning. Yeah, over-functioning. <laughs> that's, my, that's my over-functioning. I will just keep knocking and researching until I get something. And that's what brought us to you, thankfully. So- Once I started doing the research and reading, and fortunately, Archie's oldest sister had done a gender course. So Mm -hmm. she was also very good at like, yeah, there's more than one gender. And so, you know, they were already affirming, so I didn't have to worry about that piece. So it helped me kind of put all of those pieces together of not feeling like this is completely out of the left field, even though it right. felt out of the left field, but that there's people that are going through this and that he's not alone in this. And yeah. there were, of course, there were times I was like, this is just a phase. Or there were times that I felt like I was, I blamed myself. Is this my fault? Because I ended the marriage. Um, mm, you go especially through, since that coming out came right after the divorce. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you, there's all kinds of blame that you do So um, after we got him established with you, then he started to at least work on some of the depression, which was, that was my first and foremost thing to, to take care of. The other stuff I thought, well, we'll just slowly kind of go about it as I learn and I educate. It was really, really hard that whole time period. That's going to make me cry (laughs) because I don't know Parents that go to deal, that have to have these kids that have that are transgendered, it's hard, and having kids is hard. But then you add that on top of it, it's it's can be very overwhelming, but at the same time, it can be absolutely beautiful. And sometimes you have to have the rough in order to get the good. And I'm glad we're at this point now where we are and we're in a good spot, but it was rough. And 
on top of it, you know, me personally, I was my mom's only daughter. And now I don't have that mother-daughter. At the first, that's what I was thinking, you know. It's like, who's going to go to my teas with me or go shopping or do those things? And once I began to fully go through the journey, I was like, that's silly. <laughs> He'll still do those things with me. It's just, <laughs> and she's just not going to be wearing a funny hat or whatever. <laughs> we go to tea. She still and- might wear a funny hat. <laughs> still might, yes. Yeah. And, and so it was, it, it, it's a weird dichotomy of how much we put so much emphasis on what's in between our legs when that really mm. doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. He hasn't changed one bit. Um, just happier. Just happier. Absolutely. And fits in his own body. And for me, watching him go through that, I tell him quite often, you are so brave and you have so much courage, more than I could ever imagine anybody having to just be willing to put yourself out there and be who you are. And I have to thank you for a lot of that because you really helped open up a lot of doors and exposure for me into this journey. But I really couldn't be more proud of him. I still have fear. Fear for what his future looks like. Fear for the health of these changes for him. But he's happy and that's the most important thing to me but yeah it's i i can't i i think this is probably one of the hardest things that i've really ever had to go through and i've gone through a lot but it was hard yeah <laughs> yeah it's hard how did you find the courage to ask do you think you're a boy I know a lot of parents who would run from that question. I think I was so concerned with his own safety. Mm. I was just trying to find answers. What is going on in your head so that I can then help you without knowing what's going on in his head? I was lost. But kids, teenagers don't talk. (laughs) They just don't. They don't open up and they don't share. And a lot of that's out of fear. And no matter Mm -hmm. how many times I've tried to instill that we have open dialogue in regards to all things, of course, you're going to be scared to go to your parents and say, I don't feel like I'm this gender when they've decked out your room in Paris motif and pink and frill. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I get that. I think for me, it was just, just trying to find answers and I'm just going to keep asking until I get them. You talked, touched briefly just on the, how being affirmed shifted Archie in terms of mental health. Plus, you know, he did a lot of work on that, but how did Archie's coming out and you affirming him as him, how did that shift your relationship with him? It sounds like you already had a pretty decent one. 
We did. We did have a pretty decent one. There, of course, was rough patches with any, <laughs> any kid. But I think that what the affirmation did was it just instilled more trust mm-hmm. that he knows that he can now share anything with me and I'm not going to just automatically be judgmental. I may say things that are incorrect, <laughs> but that's human nature. And I will apologize for those when I do. But it definitely brought us a lot closer in a lot of ways because this journey isn't just his. It's the entire family. And it's it's brought even his brother closer at you know with us as well. So our relationship is is pretty thick. And it, you know, he even says to me at times like, well, nobody knows me like you do. And you know, things like that. And I love that. And I'm glad that we have that relationship. I would be I, I, in a lot of ways, him coming out has brought us closer um, than if he hadn't. And if he hadn't and hadn't told me, he'd probably be even more withdrawn and more isolated even with COVID. <laughs> so I'm glad that he was a, felt comfortable to do that with me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Do you think that – this is a big question I'm about to ask you. <laughs> do you think that the courage that you had to ask that question might have saved his life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if he would have come out if I hadn't have asked. Yeah, I don't know either. And it just speaks to your what mother's intuition. You just you just have it. It's just there, and you just when you want to fight for your kids, you're going to fight and ask and dig and poke and <laughs> do anything you can to make sure that they remain safe. That that was it was the scary. Archie was born at 27 and a half weeks. He was in the hospital for six weeks with a grade four brain bleed. So this kid has already put me through a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So him having on top of that, then you add the suicide ideation. I'm like, you're here for a reason. There's a reason you were here. And so, yeah, as a mom, you just, you just do it. You just ask, even if you don't, yeah. or even if the answer is going to be scary. Yeah. yeah. Even if the answer is scary. Did you, did it ever occur to you in the, in, as you were thinking about asking, did it ever occur to you that if you didn't ask that the results could be so much worse or was I it? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I never even thought about that until you asked me that. I didn't. <laughs> Well, you're Maybe welcome. it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing I hadn't. I think thought. it probably is. A good thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 What about the rest of your family? You touched on Archie's siblings. Is there anyone in your extended family that his coming out also affected the relationship of? Um. The interesting thing, the one person it would have affected ended up passing away. And that's kind of 
a weird place, I think, for even him to kind of leave it because it, it, he didn't hadn't come out to him, to that person. That person was not affirming for the gay, so would not have been affirming for the trans. No. So in a lot of ways, it was sad because I think he would have liked to have had that with this person. But at the same time, I'm also thankful because he didn't have to have that rejection. The rest of the family, I have to say, and it could just be because I'm going to not take it any other way, is, (laughs) you know, this is my child and you either accept or you don't. And though they've questioned me outside, they've never directly questioned him. And they've all been really good about using proper name and proper pronouns. It took time, obviously. Do they all agree? No. But I don't care. <laughs> they don't have to. It's not hit their life. So they, they keep it to themselves. And I appreciate that. I can tell, though. I know. But the people that matter most do. And that's the most important part to me. What advice do you have for other parents who, well, I think we can expand this to just from beyond parents who are know their parenting and transgender kid to also parents who maybe are suspecting that their kid is maybe more than just gay? <laughs> <laughs> I think my first advice would be think about how you're going to respond. And that the response be simple, but also very embracing and affirming and, but also recognizing that it's okay to tell your child, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what, what our next steps are. It's okay to say that you don't know. And it's okay to not know because you're you're there's going you're going to discover all kinds of new things as you go through the journey but i think the main thing is just pausing if you don't really know how to respond then just pause and don't say anything at all until you know how to respond <laughs> i i i think that if let me get back to you kid i need to let me think <laughs> mm-hmm. before you just automatically say something that could be very hurtful hurtful to the relationship hurtful to your child just take that time to pause and and educate first. But most importantly, just make sure that they know that you love them. First and foremost, it doesn't matter that you love them. And what about for a parent who struggles? Well, I was going to say struggles, but not just like struggles with like maybe they're like, okay, I'm affirming. Yes, I'm like doing this. And simultaneously, like, holy moly, there's a lot going on inside me as a parent with the feelings and maybe some feelings of loss and maybe some confusion. So what advice would you give a parent as they sort of like head down their own journey that's like parallel to their kids? I would say allow yourself to feel and that it's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to cry. I did lots. (laughs) 
the first boy haircut. Oh my gosh, I had tears. And it's mixtures. This is the weirdest thing you feel. You feel super happy and super elated for your child, but for yourself, you feel super sad. And it's the weirdest feeling to go through because you're sad for what your hopes, (laughs) here I go, (laughs) what your hopes and dreams were that you built all those years as you're raising them. But at the same time, you're seeing your kid flourish in a whole new way that you never expected. And those feelings conflict very often. And they still do in me sometimes because it can be very confusing that why am I sad, but I'm also very happy for my kid. Mm -hmm. So just allow it. I think it's also okay to say to your kid, I'm having a hard time. They don't, shouldn't have to fix it. They don't need to help you. But I think kids also need to know that you have feelings and you have to process them too, just like they have to process them. So it's okay to say, I'm having a hard time. Mom might have some tears. I'll try to keep them from you, but you may see some. And, you know, feelings are feelings and we, you have to be able to let them out. Yeah. I love the idea of being a human to your child. Instead of just this like perfect entity (laughs) that is unachievable um, and certainly not sustainable. I also love the idea of I can have feelings and I can share them and I cannot, I can keep you from having to carry the burden of them. Yes. Right? Like, those are for me. Those are for me. I'm a grown up, I can carry them. You don't have to fix me. You don't have to take care of me, but you may see my feelings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you, have you found yourself in a position um, – oh, man. I was just going to ask that loaded question, and I'm still going to say it. Have you found yourself in a position yet where you've had to advocate or go to bat for Archie? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, finding you, I was super advocating. Like I, was- <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I was phone call after phone call and – I called the was it the youth the youth center yeah I was I was yeah I was calling my healthcare for my company like I need a a therapist that specializes in this and I wasn't in network and you went to bat for that I did you were like I this is who they have to see I have to have this yeah (laughs) it was funny because. When I saw your picture and you had the goldfish on your face, <laughs> the goldfish on my face, I was like, "Okay, this is for Archie." Like, it's so funny when you just see someone. You're like, "This person would mesh with Archie," and so yeah, I pushed. I think I pushed for like two months before we finally got the appointment. So yeah, yeah. I, I did. I had to advocate in the school some as well. Um, and to the point that we pulled him out of school so that he felt more comfortable. And I found a way to continue his schooling so that he felt comfortable. And I've had to advocate also with his dad quite often. Yeah. I would imagine that when you got divorced, (laughs) you didn't think necessarily, oh, I'm still going to be neck deep in it with this guy having to like be the go-between between my kid and my ex-husband. Yeah, and that got super complicated. This, When I look back now, Archie wouldn't have come out if he was still in our house. 
So even though I asked that question and it got there, ultimately he didn't even come out gay until dad was gone from the house. So that lent a comfort level for him in the home that he didn't have before. But yeah, I I didn't know I would still continue to have to kind of be that in-between, but I still am. Even to this day, I still am the in-between. Even Archie says, well, dad doesn't understand me the way you do. And he's right. He's right. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> but I also have to say to him, well, you need to kind of give dad a chance to get to know you. Um, and that's also from other things outside of him being trans. Totally. It's dad hasn't hadn't been around for a while, is back now. But Archie's struggled with his relationship with his dad and for about six months wasn't even talking with him. I think it was about six months. And I think that kind of gave him that space of learning how to set those boundaries and which I'm super grateful that he's learning to do because that has not been something that I'm great at. So yeah, it, it, that has been a hard piece, but I also have to do that with my youngest son too. So I, that's just the place that I'm in. Just the way it is. <laughs> just the way it is. <laughs> well, any other pieces of pearls of wisdom that we want to pass on to listeners, other parents, people who are in it now, maybe in the scarier parts? Well, first and foremost, I want to talk about pictures because mm. I'm on quite a few forums for trans because that has been super helpful for tr parents of trans. And I see all the time, I don't know what to do with the pictures. I don't know. I don't want to look at them. They make me sad. And I get all of that. I think for me, I decided that my child is still my child and that's just what they look like when they were little. And I'm not going to put them away. I put them out. I put some of them out of sight for him, but in my own room, I have pictures of him when he was a child. Um, I don't want to pretend like that time wasn't there. And it may make him feel weird at times looking at them. But I hope me continuing to do that also says you don't need to feel weird those are good memories and those were your growing up years. And though you may, at that time, you didn't feel out of your body because he didn't, he wasn't a, a young trans that happened through puberty. So it's okay to be like, hey, that's what I did when I was a kid. I feel like a lot of parents still struggle with that. And that's just my point of view. Everybody can have their own point of view, but that's how I've taken it on. I don't want those memories to be hidden. Um, you don't want them to feel ashamed of not. No. Having all. known when he was three, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. He knew when he knew. Yeah, exactly. And we didn't know any different. And at the time, look, he wanted to wear dresses. He wanted to troll. He wanted to do all those things and have my all my mom's jewelry around his neck. So those were things he liked. He wanted to be a fashionista. <laughs> Even, you know, so... There's nothing wrong with that. So I, I feel like he's kind of come to terms with that too. I think sometimes he kind of feels a little awkward, but I'm just hoping that if I'm just like, hey, this is who you were. This is part of your journey. This is part of your past. You don't need to hide it. I would say that. 
for parents that are in the thick of it, I would say advocate. Push and push and push until you get the help and support that you need. And once you do, everything else will line up. It just does. It just did. It When I finally got to you and his GP was amazing, everything else just lined up. And now I have no fear. I will call a doctor and say, this is their legal name currently, but this is their preferred name. Okay, I don't hide it. I'm like, this is who we are. And if you give me any grief, then watch out. (laughs) 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 This mama bear will come at you. (laughs) Do you feel like the mama bear in you got a lot more empowered through this process? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you... You do have to add another layer of protection in a lot of ways, preparing for those moments where people are going to say something, I'm prepared, should that happen? I have to say, so far, we have been very fortunate. And I know that that's not the case for everyone. But as a parent, if you advocate and push where you need to do, then you may end up in that same path that we have been able to do. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Rachel. I really appreciate your time and your story and all of the advocacy and persistence that you have dedicated to Archie and your family. And it's just been a really huge joy to be a part of the journey with you guys. Well, I want to thank you because you did make a big impact on me and Archie in ways that I know you will never truly understand, but you absolutely have. I'm so grateful for Rachel sharing the story of how she found the courage and strength to ask the hard questions. She and Archie have forged such a beautiful path for themselves and their whole family, almost none of which came without a ton of work. To answer a couple of the many questions I anticipated would come up after hearing Rachel's story, we turn once again to Dr. Linda Hawkins. Linda is the director of the Affirmative Therapy for Transgender Communities Training Program at Widener University and the director of the Gender and Sexuality Development Program at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. She has more than 20 years of experience as a clinician and has a wealth of knowledge. Plus, she's one of my favorite humans. And I don't say that about everyone. Even though it seems like I say that about everyone, I really don't. She's one of my favorites. So I have a question. So I'm confused. So I have a question. But what about? So I got a question. I've heard from parents sometimes that they're concerned about an agenda being pushed on their child or the opposite might be the stifling of their child. But I'm wondering just the idea of pushing an agenda. If you could just speak to that as a concept, maybe. Because I work in primarily academic settings and an academic hospital setting, and I find that when when a parent is bringing that to me, they tend to be fairly well-read, and they've been reading the research, they've been reading certain sets of research that have come out of homes of thought that are looking for reasons why people should not be transgender, and so they, they tend to find answers and create answers that fit that that narrative. 
but I actually lean back on some of my previous work in our medical clinics around differences in sexual development. So I'm saying sexual in this term, um, differences in sex development, and that has to do with variations in anatomy and chromosomes that have what we call ambiguous genitalia be part of someone's process. And um, historically, the the world of, of medicine and, and childhood development said, all right, so if you have a kid who's born with a difference in sex development, let's say such that they're XY, so phenotypically male, but their genitals, due to some sort of in utero difference in development, their genitals are actually much um, more feminine looking, or it's a smaller penis than might be conventional or, or typical in our society. There's a, a, a real movement for decades to surgically alter those that genital area to look more female. And parents were advised, okay, you don't have Joey, you have Janie. Now take Janie home and raise Janie as a girl. Decades of really documented research um, at that many East Coast hospitals completely prescribed to. And the onus was on the parents to raise that child, again, XY would have been a boy, as a girl. And if they if they do it well enough and hard enough and special enough, they will have a girl. Now what we know from additional decades of research is that at some point in that kid's life, Joey was gonna will say, I don't feel like a girl. I don't feel right. And decades of research around the depression, anxiety, suicidality, substance abuse, all of that that resulted from trying to push an agenda, trying to convince a child, a person that they are a different sex and gender than they really are. So I, I always like to say that that's the best evidence that somebody's gender identity is between their ears. It's in their brain. And brain studies have identified that much more clearly recently. It really has very little to do with what's between their, their hips or in their pelvis. And so we cannot agendaize somebody's brain and I just really fall back on that research to say, no matter how much decades of parents tried to raise their children to be the gender that they were told they should be doing, the brains won out and those kids either changed and got to be living as their true gender or they aren't with us anymore. Do you get questions about, did something bad happen to my kid? And do you take the same sort of lens for those questions as well? Because I know that I get like, something must have happened kinds of questions. Yeah, I do. And and I, I try to lean into those worries with a lot of respect and put that on my list of things that I will talk to a kiddo about or explore with a kiddo. So the the short list of things that parents will usually say to me about, well, I think it might be this or it might be that, you know, so it's, you know, was my child sexually abused or was my child um, not parented appropriately? So my, my daughter wants to be a boy because um, there's not a dad in the picture or right. this is a friend influence or this is an online influence. 
So I, you know, in my work with young people, I do explore down those roads um, to see where where is the identity or where are these thoughts and feelings around gender coming from? Are they coming from internally? Are they coming from externally? And by hearing a child's narrative about where these thoughts and feelings are coming from helps to really clarify. And then I can clarify for the parents the genuineness, the authenticity of a child's thoughts and feelings. Additionally, there are some kids who are trying on gender because their friends are. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's part of uh, being a tween these days in a way that it wasn't 20 years ago when I first started this work. And that's, again, going back into natural development of identity and exploration what do we do to lean into and make space for a young person to be exploring that? And to the extent that like I, I run a medical clinic, like we don't offer testosterone to a kid who's two weeks into trying on a male name. Right. Like, so, you know, th- this idea that, oh my gosh, if a kid says that they're going to, you know, they want to try something on for a little while, we all of a sudden are going to throw everything at, at that idea. You know, in the same way, I like to, to say to parents, you know, when you have a, when you have a, a freshman in high school who says they want to be a surgeon, you might, you know, sign them up for, for like a bio camp, or you might get them a book or have them talk to somebody who's a surgeon. You don't then like send them to medical school. <laughs> so, so in similar fashion, like we're, we're not going to jump into something like hormones when somebody is starting to say they're exploring. I, I use the word hysteria kind of purposefully with this of this reaction of, oh my gosh, my kid came out as trans and A, did I do something wrong? And B, did something happen to my kid is, yeah. is kind of that, that comes from that panicky. place of, mm-hmm. of fear for a parent. And so yeah. I like to honor where that's coming from um, and then kind of put it back on the shelf. I think I do something really similar really trying to validate that fear of like, yeah, that's, it's scary. And right. This is where we're at. So, um, when, how do we be where we're at? So, and there, I feel like it's also Mackenzie important to point out that there are young people who have experienced traumas in life. There are young people who have been sexually assaulted and you can experience trauma and experience a lot of adversity and still be trans aside from that trauma. So I, I have a lot of parents who say, you know, well, all of this challenging stuff has happened to my kid and they need to completely unpack all of that prior to us believing that our kid is trans. And this is coming to mind because you said something that I, that you and I do a lot, which is both and. It's, oh, not, yeah. it's not either my kid is trans or they've experienced a trauma. It could be both your kid is trans and they experienced a trauma and we have to really be working parallel on both supporting your kid's gender and supporting their mental health and physical healing. And it can't happen one and then the other. It's both and. Yeah, that both and I think is part of the part of the work I really love. Um, like the, n- there's no such thing as a simple case, you know? Right, right. Every family is different. Every kiddo is different. Every kiddo brings something different to the table. Every family brings some new layer and you get to 
help sort through that. And it's never boring. And also I see for, for some of our, our neuroexpansive kids, so young people who have autism or ASD, a lot for our assigned male at birth kiddos where things that were more feminine, more sparkly, more um, even wearing nightgowns and dresses, it was interpreted through the lens of autism, that it was a tactile thing, that it was, mm-hmm. you know, he, in air quotes, never wanted his hair cut and kept it long because of the sound of cutting hair. It was a tactile thing. And the kiddo at 17 is like, I've always been a girl. What, what, like, what, why are people questioning me now that I'm ready to talk about it? I've worn a nightgown to sleep in since I was two and I wear ballerina shoes because I'm a girl and I have long hair. How come people won't use she and her now that I'm letting them know that this is who I am? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And I that's just, a really hurtful I threw a lot in there. <laughs> that's okay. It's good. It's um, helpful, I think, you know, because especially with um, when it comes to autism, you know, there's I know a lot of research being done on the correlations between people who are diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder and gender identity and mm-hmm. having a transgender gender identity or something other than cisgender. Mm-hmm. And I also know that there's a lot of pushback around that particular topic as well about allowing kids who maybe are on the spectrum to have the same permissions to really be who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really great that you touched on that. And our colleagues over at um, Children's National in Washington, D.C. are really leading the charge in that research to help clarify the realness of this and the emerging gender narratives that are slightly different from other trans kids and the developmental time when neuroatypical or neuroexpansive kids are coming out, which tends to be in later high school years when other areas of executive functioning are getting developed and moving forward. And that's when we see more of our our kiddos who have ASD coming out and saying, okay, so I see myself in my future and I see myself after high school. And and sometimes high school is a really unsafe place to be different. And I mm-hmm. already feel like I'm a little different. And so I want to save this part of my identity development for after high school. And in a way that's, I feel like we always start the discussion from this is different from the norm. I'm like, okay, well, 20 years ago, we didn't have a norm for this. So we these are emerging norms and get to be celebrated. We don't have to figure out why they're wrong before taking a deep breath and saying, wow, this is a new right. I hope what you're taking from our time together today is that it is not only okay, but important to ask hard, scary questions. It's also important for you and your child to work together to determine what the playbook for support looks like. It may not look like that of other families. What's important is that it ensures your child feels loved, safe, and affirmed. I just want to reiterate again, the Camp Wildheart is meant to be a community. And if there's anything we can do to support you and supporting your kid, please let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wild Heart Society, or you can send us an email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Thanks again to Rachel for sharing her story and Linda for sharing her expertise. 
To learn more about the amazing work Linda is doing, or if you're a clinician interested in learning more about how to do this work well, please check out the Affirmative Therapy for Transgender Communities training program at Widener. This program is run as a cohort model, which builds community among other clinicians doing this work, which is invaluable. It also provides ongoing supervision and support for therapists invested in providing the highest quality care to their transgender clients. This coming cohort will be online, making it accessible to you no matter where you live. And I cannot speak highly enough about my experience in this program. I went from feeling isolated in the work to being surrounded with clinicians dedicated to it and experts who have pushed me to grow clinically all along the way. If high quality work is important to you and your practice, make the investment. You won't be disappointed. Applications are currently being accepted for the upcoming cohort. You can learn more about it at www.widener.edu slash academics slash graduate hyphen studies slash affirmative hyphen therapy hyphen transgender hyphen communities. There will be a link in the show notes and on the website. Thanks again for joining us for Campfire. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure anyone who needs us knows there's a spot for them at Camp Wildheart. Heart.